The Island Portugal Business Network is comprised of more than 150 member companies based in Portugal and Ireland. These companies are from a wide range of industries and professions and represent in excess of 25,000 people. All right. Thank you, everyone, for your time and for attending. Um, so the title was Disrupting Hospitality Using Data-Driven Model. But when we talked with Arnold, we said, why don't we make it a bit more relatable for everyone and, and more general? Uh, so it's going to talk about hospitality all along. And the examples might be about hospitality, but it's totally applicable uh, to, to any sector, really. So um, really, the idea for me, I'm, a, I'm not a technical person, so but for some reason I ended up leading technical team and engineers all my career. Uh, so it was how to navigate all these buzzwords, generative AI, these um, trends about data and data models uh, as a as any function really, where do I start to understand how how does this work, how to make sense of it all and really how to separate the signal from the noise. So that's an engineering talk. But with the years, I, I started to to pick up their their language and jargon. So so it's really about you know what's the noise and what's the signal uh, today. So I wanted really to to be applicable. Sorry, uh, to ev everyone. And and this is just myself. Um, so a slide of introduction. Uh, I'm currently the founder and CEO of Momenti. Uh, we're a, a small company based in Geneva, Switzerland. I'm in Geneva. Uh, what we do at Momenti is very simple. We allow any user of, of our platform to book and pay luxury experiences within luxury hotels. So what we do is really collect, we have a collection of, uh, of curated experiences on the app and with the, with the platform, you can book and pay uh, experiences within five or four, four star hotels. And, um, and it's been working pretty well. We started close to a year and a half ago now and uh, we're opening our branch in the US uh, and as well in Asia now. So, uh, so we're expanding, we're based in, in Switzerland, but we're expanding in France, uh, UK. So it's going pretty well. We're still very small. It takes time to build a brand, but I'm really happy with how things are going. And um, before that, I was a, a managing director for a number of years at JP Morgan. I was the global head of tech operations so that means, and that's relevant for today, um, I was owning globally the technology intelligence, the reporting teams, um, all, all these metrics uh, type of, uh, of functions. Um, so I was doing support, I was doing training, disaster recovery, release management, all sorts of things. So over the years, I've been swamped in data and, and really today, I think it's going to, my experience will be somewhat relevant. Uh, before that, I was global head of data and applications at Thomson Reuters. Uh, so in my career, I've been based in Paris, London, New York, and St. Louis a short period of time, Manila for two years. So I've been traveling quite a bit. But my background is law and finance. It's not tech. And I think that's the interesting bit. So you're going to have a non-tech uh, guy talking about tech. So a few remarks. Uh, so as I said, we want, I won't use technical terms too much. Uh, I haven't used ChatGPT to create content here. I think it's important. Um, and uh, it's not a lecture. I, I don't like the word masterclass, but I just share my experience and hopefully uh, you will find it useful. So I wanted to start talking a little bit, pausing a little bit and looking back on how 
technology has evolved. So when you think about the technologies that for those that are old enough uh, that we used in the 20th century, uh, it was mainly about doing things. So I can fax, I can listen to music, I can make a phone call, I can copy papers, you know, with a copier, I can drive my car, uh, I can record my TV. That's pretty much what we were doing using technology and the loyalty, the user loyalty came primary through its main function. So, so please do things for me. That was our message to our devices at the time. So it was very task driven. Uh, the loyalty was driven by the reliability, the quality and the brand. When we talk about the brand was all about quality, reliability, and somewhat the trends of the moment. So in terms of data, there was very little, if no data uh, that was produced. And, and when it was produced, it was more private and companies used to use them internally. And it wasn't made public at the time. And only if it was good data, then it was made public. But there was not much what we call media metrics. So, so it wasn't really relatable to the, to the audience and to the users. So if you think about the technology today, it's totally different. So we love the technology that does things for us. We can still have you know, phone calls with the iPhone. Uh, we can talk to people, we can communicate, but cars and technologies have evolved. Now the cars, we love them, not only because they, they, they do things, they drive for us, but they produce data. Um, they use intelligent data. And it's like this for every piece of the of our world, really. Uh, and, and every piece of the technology we use now is doing things, but at the same time, it's generating data. And by generating data, if we give it, we, we, we know more about ourselves. So the loyalty now is driven not only through the function, but also through the data. So what we ask our technology now is tell me who loves me, how many likes do I get? What people are saying about the, the hotel or a restaurant, we were obsessed with reviews right now. Uh, we we're obsessed with who I am, uh, usage data, behavioral data, all sorts of data. And, and I think what, what we all love is really those Spotify raps, for instance, where in one moment you can, you can know more about yourself that you never would on your own. So what kind of music do I like? What is the music I listen the most over the year? Facebook does a great rap, who's my best friend, who I interact with the most. Uh, and I think that's really the trend. And what's interesting to notice, the data piece of it is really driving brand loyalty and brand desirability. So again, it, it hasn't evolved much besides, you know, technology helps us, enables us to do things easy, easily and, and in a much easier way that without technology, but also, there's this power of data, which drives brand stickiness, brand loyalty, and brand desirability. I think that's what this slide is trying to say. So really, when we talk about you know, your function, whether you run a hotel or in any business, when, when people think, oh, technology, and specifically in the last four years, people think, oh, I need to invest in tech. I need to invest in, in AI, and now generative AI. So Gen AI... And, and it's always great to invest, but I always say to people, you could, you could have a data-driven model on Excel. It's more about the culture and it's more about what you guys 
do within your company and your functions uh, that that matters the most is how culture uh, how the company is change enabled and it, it's really about that so when you think about the players in, in in the company really you have the product and services that you guys use and manage and then there's the data and technology uh, that it produces so there's the technology you use the data you generate you knowing it or not knowing it but technology generates tons of data uh, client engagement generates tons of data. It's how you capture it so and how you use it. So most of the company operates like that. They have the product and services team and then the data and technology teams. So the culture, how do you induce a technology that, that joins this together? And that's the next slide, really. So what you want to do is to have a, a product and service and then it generates data and technology, which then drives you to have improved product and services. So I try really to simplify the process, but really when you have the data and technology that is used to improve your product and service, then you have a data enabled model. And, and that's a data driven model. Now, how you capture the data and technology can be challenging. It can be overwhelming. We're gonna talk more about that, but really it's mainly about the culture. So talking about the culture, it's really interesting. Uh, it's not in the slide, but I've done a lot of consulting as well with LVMH and 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 you know public companies and and so forth. What's interesting when you try to zoom out and really have a look at the companies and how they behave. You have the active culture uh, where people embrace problems. There's a collabor collaborative culture. Problems are fun. Uh, and, and it's always the same. You see these patterns. They have a pretty flat organization and, and they're very active. So, and you have the passive culture. You have a lot. And I have to say in hospitality, I've seen that a lot. People that think they know it all. They know it all about their own company, their, their, their own industry. They know it all about their own clients. And, and, and I think it's, there's, a, there's always a danger in that. So when you know it all, you lack some doubt and doubt, doubt is not bad. We're going to talk about that in a moment. And also they see barriers and issues as reasons to stop, whereas it shouldn't be a reason to stop. So, so an, an effective company and successful companies, what I noticed is not only they do things, uh, but at some point in their processes, in their culture, they always time out for a moment. They reflect on what they're doing, how they're doing it. They're correct. And then they move on, they start again. So to have that pause, it might be continuously to pause and rethink your model, or it could be a weekly in your teams. It's down to how people really think. And it's down to the individuals. Do I time out sometime? Pause and reflect how I'm doing things, look back, correct, and start over. And, and that's really what effective companies do. So if we think about the model I just presented, when you re reflect, let's use the data. Yes, let's lose the data you guys produce and let's correct the products and services and start with an improved product. And, and that's really that continuous improvement that's going to make the success. Not much the technology you're going to buy, not much, you know, the people you hire, but really the culture you have within the teams. And it starts really at the very operational level. So change enabled culture is, is really key from my perspective. So that's probably the most interesting slide. Uh, 
So how do you implement changes? How do you, do you use generative AI? And I think one of the mistakes I've seen a lot, and when you talk to CTOs and people and engineers and people that are that really know things about technology, they've been asked, oh, we, we need to use AI, we need to use Gen AI, we need to use tech tools uh, and fix our problems with that. But the problem is, and this is really the sequence of events, and most people try to fix problems here, they're asking generative AI to fix their strategy. But really, this is the only place where you need human intervention. So. Here, the, 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 the height of the, of the column indicates the time it takes. And the more high the column is, the more time it takes. So in my view of a, a, of a successful and a positive change implementation plan, you need to have a clear vision. Uh, because without vision, you have confusion. People don't know what you want, really. Uh, you need to establish clear values. Without the right values, you have corruption in the philosophical term. You need to have a right strategy, otherwise people get the vision, but they don't know how to get to the uh, to the objective. So without the right strategy, you get diffusion. People go all over the places. Then you need to decide the capabilities you want. What are, and this is where really you, you need to kick in and have gen AI, AI and tech discussions with your, with your technology team. What capabilities do we need to implement? And then once you have the right capabilities, because if you don't have the right capabilities, the risk is to have, uh, you know, fatigue in the teams, people doing all sorts of things and, and for which they are not specialized, specialized. And then against each capability, the right resource levels, the right level of motivation. So really asking yourself, what motivates my teams? What motivates my client is really key. And then at the end, you want to have a clear feedback. So, and you want to always have a level of doubt so that uh, really how to solve the doubt, because the risk without feedback is to be in the constant doubt, but doubt is good. And what would validate or invalidate your assumptions is really metrics. So the feedback that you establish here is really about what kind of data and metrics do I want to watch to validate my model and improve it. So the doubt that you induce here and the lack of feedback or the lack of metrics is not necessarily, not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but you need the right data and metrics. So really, that's, this is really important. And most of the people are asking AI to fix things here, but it's wrong. And this is why then, because then you're asking an, uh, an intelligent, an artificial intelligence to fix your identity, your brand, um, almost visual identity sometimes, your tone of voice. But this is really where you need to input that for the machine then to figure it out. Otherwise, and this is one of the problems in hospitality, we tend to see a lot of, a lot of um, uh, similarities across brands. Uh, they all use the same tone of voice. Uh, they all use uh, the same type of language, the same type of uh, blissful this and blissful that. But really when you talk to the younger generation and at the moment we're creating now a Gen Z advisory board, just to fix our problems here and to, to refine our vision. And I think that's the right way. And then you ask, there's an overlap here on strategy, it's on purpose. You can ask AI to figure out your strategy once you have the right vision and values, and then it's for you to tweak whatever AI comes up with. Uh, but the rest, they can help and data will help all along the path really. So that's really important. Now, 
what is data-driven model? Data-driven model. We saw it. Look no further. It's really. Uh, a, I didn't put it in 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 cycle in a cycle pattern here, but I love the linear things. Uh, but it's really a model where data and technology is at the center uh, between the previous product and service and the next generation and improved version of, of product and services. And it's really, really crucial that you can start to use data and technology. But people get lost. There's so much. There's so much data and technology being used. And, and what do I need to use and being produced? Sorry. So. What you want to do at that point is, okay, let's have a look at the data we produce, okay? Understand your data engine. Really, let's open the hood, look inside, and look what, what really is produced, and try to figure it out, start to classify it. And here, we don't talk yet about the, um, we don't want to talk uh, uh, about the, the AI and the technology tools. It's more a matter of classifying things. So this is the data we produce. And then you want to have a look at what data is consumed. Do I consume the data I produce or not? Do I buy other data, trend reports? Or do I buy something external to figure out my, my own model? And then you, you, you have a look at your net balance. Are you a net producer or a net consumer of data? And that's really important. And again, I would encourage anyone to use generative AI, but Try and understand if you're producing uh, intelligent data or if you're consuming more. And that's important. Why is this important? Think about a restaurant that, that really uh, grows its own produce. Uh, if they produce too much, maybe, and if it's great quality, you can sell it. And we've had people at Momenti starting to ask for our data. And I think it's really, really a, a great angle and it's great to it's great to consume data. Don't get me wrong, but you have to understand how you behave and how you manage data, all in all. So, so that's that's equally important. Uh, this is really the the trying me, me trying to get in the in the hood, really. So you have all sorts of data in your organization, all sorts of data. You have operations data like HR, uh, attrition reports, resourcing data team climate surveys, um, you have financial data, the sales data, the revenue, pipeline information, velocity, uh, revenue data, profitability data, any sorts of accounting data would be in there. You have client data, CRM, uh, feedback and reviews, user experience metrics, behavioral metrics from your product if you run a website, hopefully you have behavioral data where people spend time on your website and, and where do they go when they leave you? When they leave your website, do they go to the competition or do they go to, a, I don't know, if you run a hotel, do they go to Trivago or Priceline or whatever? And then you have the, the technology and product data, like security data, penetration test results, support data, ticketing data, um, performance data, latency, uh, things like that, usage data, adoption data, all sorts of data. So really you have data everywhere. But, and you, then you have what I, I've mentioned before, trend data, competitive watch reports, uh, gap analysis, industry level uh, type of reporting. So really what you wanna do, and you don't need AI to do this, is um, pick a few data within 
this blob of, of data and pick a few data and decide what is your ultimate output data? What is output? And you need to separate output from input data. So if I take a concrete example, let's say I want really the client satisfaction to be my output data. Now you need to identify, okay, client satisfaction is my output. What drive client satisfactions? Where is my input data? Because that's what you want to monitor going forwards. So I'm going to say, you know what? I'm not going to boil the ocean. There's a lot of input data for a client that drives client satisfaction, but let's pick performance, tech performance. You want it to improve. Let's pick maybe uh, something else, usage data. So if when they, when they don't use it, then it, it doesn't drive performance. It doesn't drive, sorry, satisfaction. So you, you pick two or three drivers and, and then you start to monitor that. And it's like in golf. What you want is just to progress. You start to measure performance and you want it to improve. So it's more a competition within, with yourself than with the competition, really. So you just want to have that metric, track it over time. That's why histor historical data is very important. And, and then you want to track it and monitor if really you identify the right driver of satisfaction. So that's, that's a very concrete example. And you can track performance on an Excel spreadsheet. What you want is then say to tech teams, look, it seems and our clients just say, we need to have a more performing website or a more performing piece of technology. And as the satisfaction is the ultimate output measure, Whatever that we need, you need to do, you need to improve performance. So that's really a concrete example on how you can you can really uh, use a, a data model to improve uh, an ultimate output measure. In this case, satisfaction. You could you could say like pipeline data. For us, it was very important uh, pipeline data. Uh, we noticed it was, uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to that a bit later on. But pipeline data will inform how well or not really optimized your sales processes. And then you want to tweak your sales process so that it matches uh, the expectation of, of, your, of your prospects. And that's really important. So you just need to pick a few relationships. Now, how does this relate to AI? And this is really the great thing in the last couple of years and, and really how you want to use AI. So AI will help you cut through the data and find those relationships with you. So this is me symbolizing AI. It cuts through the data, all the data, and it finds for you the right relationship. It will suggest enhancements. But understanding the model is really essential. Before using AI, you need to understand what problems you're trying to fix and what is your vision and how does this fit your model and not really doing things a bit randomly and buying very expensive pieces of technology uh, here I'm talking a little bit, you know, uh, snorkel, for instance, very useful, but you need to understand how to use snorkel, how to use large language models like Vertex or Gemini. Gemini. Uh, it, it's really important that you can really have a clear vision, the right values, and a clear high-level strategy. And then the strategy can be refined using AI, Gen AI, and other software tools. But really, this is really the most important things. And, and generative AI will, will tell you, Rob, there's a relationship with these, these two things. And, and this is an input data to that output. And, and you, you identify more drivers than you, you never would on your own. Agreed. But 
it's really a tool. It's just another tool generated AI. And if you used, if you use it in 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 this framework, then then you're making sense of it all, and you can break out from the pack because really what you want is really disrupt. Is really how do I break out from the pack? So. I was thinking about this slide quite a bit and I tried to simplify it as much as possible. So when we're trying to break out, you don't want to mimic the, the others. You, you want to identify gaps, gaps in your own operations, but also gaps in the industry. And you want to identify, if not like preempt some trends. Uh, so, so you want to discover how you can support these trends at best, maybe anticipate the trends. And that's why I think all the data that is generated by human conversations, like you know, advisory boards. I was talking about the Gen Z advisory board. But when you talk, you need to capture these moments because most. Sorry, I'm going back one slide. Most of this slate, most of these data, are not captured in companies. So before you even think about using generative AI, you need to think about how can I best capture. Uh, these interactions between a front desk guy in a hotel and a client. How can I best capture the 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 these relationships? Because mo if most of the data is lost, is not captured, then you can use all the AI you want. It's never gonna help. Uh, it's like in support. I've ran I ran a, a number of support teams. The most efficient ones are the ones where most of the kind interactions are captured in a proper CRM. Then you can use the data, repurpose it. You can really uh, uh, slice and dice the data the way you want. And if you can do it, generative AI will as well. But if you miss most of the intelligent data, then you miss most of the, the input, really. So the disruption part, how do I break out? Very easy very easy it's not very easy but you need to force yourself to identify gaps in the industry and how your and gaps in your own operations and then then the trends what are the client trends but also employee trends like what the, what is triggering motivation in the teams what how are the people i hire evolving over time what are the key drivers you still have status driven people I love fast cars and success in the way, you know, which is like sports car or whatever, like luxury. But some, some other people are driven by other motivations right now. And younger generations tend to be motivated by other things like free time, leisure time, my ability to, to master a sport. Uh, that's why I put a surfer here. And, and really, it goes in all sorts of directions. So identify trends goes beyond just your, your users or your, your industry. Um, I wanted to finish here by, by talking about a few examples that we had at Momenti. I was talking about the pipeline metrics. So we, we're trying to influence and anticipate the guest needs and consuming patterns in the sales process. What, what, what we mean by that, we figured it was pretty easy to, to sign up hotels for Momenti. Uh, but once we signed up, there was a lot of time being spent to convince them to use our back office tool and and um, and create content on Momenti. So we now know manually, first of all, the fix was let's help them more. Let's do it more on their behalf. Let's help them create content on the platform. So here there's no technology whatsoever. So we figured the data, the pipeline data indicated we need to speed up the process. We need to handhold our, our partners. 
and create content on their behalf. That's the first quick fix. But the other fix is now we are working on revamping our back office tool so that whenever we sign up a hotel, it will the, the machine will scan your website, suggest experiences, and fill in already all the back office with the right experiences and what we think experiences that people would like. Well, so here's the pool, here's a pool afternoon, here is a cigar lounge, and everything will be done on behalf of the clients, and they just have to to pick what they want to put and publish on Momenti or what they want to throw in the in the in, in the bin, really. And uh, and that's really the a concrete example of how we could evolve our model uh, using AI. Um, service. Uh, we didn't ask for guest preferences, but now we combine guest preferences metrics and behavioral suggestions and behavioral metrics. So we can do really informed suggestions. If you do only um, behavioral, if you use behavioral metrics, like what people love in the app and you suggest more of what they love, you it's a vicious cycle. Then you you you, you don't inspire them really. So what we wanted to do we introduced guest preferences, what you want, what you love in life, how is your lifestyle, how do you love to behave, how do you love, you know, uh, what do you love, sorry, in, in, in life, and mesh this with behavioral data. And then you can suggest something uh, that is really meaningful to the client and not repeating over and over the same patterns for him. You want to break out from his habits and suggest things you think the, he might like. So here's an example of... Um, guest preference we ask you know uh what is your your motivation to go to luxury hotels so and most of the people they want to reward themselves and they want calm and feeling relaxed and that's key information for us so when we communicate on social media when we communicate about them we know they want calm and not much fun see the fun part very seldom clients they they want to have uh, uh, they want to meet people for instance on on luxury hotels they want to have fun but to a lesser extent and what's really the vast majority of results are geared towards I want to reward myself and I want calm so when you communicate or you suggest experiences if someone ticked these two boxes here you want to suggest something maybe didn't book already but something that is in scope for, for his really uh, preferences. So that's another example. Uh, we're now working on what we call barefoot luxury uh, through client surveys. We we noticed not everyone is really, um, we all love luxury, uh, don't get me wrong, but some people would value more privileged access than luxury really, uh, or they would value more privileged access than discounts. And personalization is really the trend in, in hospitality. So it's not only about opulence. And you see, I was saying a lot of similar type of communications around opulence, but when you talk or when you make uh, your data talk, then you realize people want more barefoot luxury, a hidden gem, uh, off the beaten tracks. Of course, they want attention to details. They want great service and personalized service. So that's one of the trends that AI helps us identify. And then on loyalty, I picked a very concrete example. Uh, we built, we we had a significant investment in, in technology. So we invested a lot, a lot of money to have a banking grade platform. 
but we use that banking grade technology and the metrics, like we have zero disputes, we, we had zero challenges, zero cross, finger crossed, zero challenges in terms of cybersecurity, but that's data you can use in your sales pitch. And, and that's very important in building client trust. Through data, you can build client trust. So, so that's really um, what I wanted to, to, to talk about. Um, now, you remember I said I wouldn't use ChatGPT today. Uh, well, I'm a liar, call me a liar, slap the cuffs, but uh, I used ChatGPT and this is what ChatGPT would have done today. So as a prompt, I said, give a five point outline on how to disrupt the hospitality industry using data-driven model, which is what we talked about today. And you see the answer is really meaningful. It's great, but it's detailed. You wanna put this in the context of your vision. You wanna use that, but how do I tweak, how do I tweak uh, this outline and how do I make it my own? And it's really how to use intelligently in, in, in an intelligent fashion. Um, AI. So this is great content. I encourage you all to use generative AI, to have generative AI tools to, to manage your data and, and your technology and to improve it. But don't ask generative AI to create your vision or your tone of voice or your, even your strategy. You should have a starting point in your strategy and then you can refining just like here. And you see it's very meaningful. Customer personalization through data analysis dynamic pricing strategies, predictive maintenance, and so forth, enhanced guests through AI-driven concierge. And then for each of these, you can ask AI to come up with a plan. That's fine. But always in the, in the context of who, of who your personality is, who you are, who you want to come across to your clients. And, and otherwise, all the brands look and feel the same. All the communication looks and feel the same. And you don't want that. And, and I know when I talk to... To, we're very small at Momenti, but when I talk to, to our clients, to our customers, what they want, they want us to break out from the pack. They want us to engage differently uh, with luxury uh, and, and they use us to engage differently with luxury. So, so that's really uh, about it for, for my presentation. Um, I just want to finish on this, which is a, one of the values at Momenti. Simplicity is the ultimate luxury. So when you think about AI and generative AI and all these fog of war, uh, think about this, what is the simplest way forward? Like, what is my brand identity? What is that I want to improve really? And um, and that's pretty much it. Um, if you have any questions, I think it's the right time. I added to the slides, I don't know uh, um, if we're gonna circulate the slides, but I added one here, which is a very cool slide to, to assess your teams and how rigid you are and uh, or or not, and, and it assesses the current culture in your, in your team with your colleagues, and it's kind of fun to do. Uh, and you just have to plot team members on this chart because we all evolve in the same fashion, and companies are only the sum of of the people that work in them. Uh, so when you start in a company, you're just born, you're terribly flexible, uh, but you're not very knowledgeable. So your ability is pretty low. You're just born then you're a terrible tool. You start to understand what is required of you. You don't have the right level of ability. Then you start to challenge the model. You're a problem child. And, and you, you maybe challenge things you find not normal. And that's great. And that's great. And then you evolve along the path. You're on target, then a high achiever, then a leader, 
And then what I was talking about, you start to know it all and you start to decrease in performance because your ability to be flexible and absorb change decreases. And we all have been with colleagues that know it all, colleagues that know it better, no colleagues that know who to blame, and then your performance drops. Um, so it's really interesting to plot colleagues on, on, this, on this chart and see where your team is. If your team is, and we're all like always here, but sometimes we force ourselves to go back. And, and again, with an active mindset, which I was talking about, if you pause, reflect how you were in the last meeting, then you can correct and course correct and go back to the left side of the of the chart. And I think it's pretty fun and interesting to do. So it's going to be part of the, the presentation. How am I on time? Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you so much. I mean, lots of lots of very, very interesting uh, topic that you that you covered. We have some time to take some questions. Yeah. So lot, lots of things that we covered, you know, the user data, uh, where, when, and where to use the technology, and then the change, uh, the change-enabled culture. Uh, Robert, the, so it was very much about the data and uh, uh, data-driven models. So when when you start when you started your project, you know, and you had the slides which we showed the vision, the strategies. Where do you start collecting and uh, the data, and when do you know which data you need you need to collect? You know, because your strategy. Or your vision is it based already on data collection? So no, it's based on empirical, like you know, things you notice. As a, I was a frequent traveler, of course, so I was gathering my own data points, if you will, and then you try to validate it with other people that are in the same type of situation that travel a lot, frequent flyers, uh, gold this and gold that, platinum this, and circle member. Uh, and 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 you try and make sense of it all, but most of the data is empirical at the beginning, and most of the data then when you create the company, most of the data is external. You yeah. you you figure out industry reports. You try and figure out your assumption, validate the assumptions. It's not bad to use external data, but then you start to produce your own. And yeah. and as we grow now, we're almost two years old. Uh, you start to create, you know, a framework where you can reuse the data, repurpose it, and make intelligent decisions because you have intelligent decisions, uh, your intelligent data. That's always what I say. Let's create intelligent data so you can make intelligent decisions. I, yeah. I think it's really um, the key. And again, I could do this on Excel, and it's not a function of the technologies we use. Robert, thank you. Thank you for your presentation and for the time today. Uh, it's not exactly a question, but I wanted to hear more from you on when you said doubt is good and how did you relate feedback with validating our assumptions with the metrics? If you can develop that a little bit. Thank yeah. you. So doubting your, doubting your model is great because when you doubt your model, you question it. So you want to question your operations. You want to question, you know, where where can I improve? But the problem is doubt is just a doubt. And to, to eliminate doubt, you need metrics. And that's why I say, and especially in, in highly operational teams, like you run a hotel, I guess. And so you have all sorts of satisfaction metrics. But really identifying what drives satisfaction is really important. Because what you have a lot in hotels is you have a lot of anecdotes. Oh, that guy was pissed off because of this. Or this guy mm. complained because of that. But how do you move from anecdotes to metrics is really the key. And how can you have like a model 
that generates continuous continuous metrics on i'll give you a concrete example so what at momenti we do after a, a, um, after an experience has taken place in a luxury hotel we we don't ask a, we don't send an email with a survey it's within the app uh, our users have the ability to rate the experience uh, one week after the 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 experience has taken place but if they rate it we ask them for their overall experience but then we try to break it down. This is something I have I had uh, implemented at JP Morgan, and uh, we we're reusing it. So we try to to define what they mean by quality. So you ask for a number of stars, five stars, let's say, for overall experience. But then you define how was the welcome process. So four stars. How was the staff knowledge and know-how? Five stars. So great, super staff, polite. But staff knowledge and know-how, you would agree, it's very different from uh, staff, um, um, sorry, uh, knowledge and know -how. It's very different from 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 staff, uh, um, oh, sorry, I need, uh, I need to check my survey. Let me check it online. Uh, because staff knowledge and know-how is very different than, than the staff politeness. They can be very polite, and uh, and great in terms of politeness, but they don't know how to do your cocktail at the beach, and and that's very two different metrics. So you want to track the 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 staff politeness, but also the knowledge and know-how, which can be different. And then you ask about the infrastructure. So again, when you decouple that, and then you accumulate data, and you have a, a thorough process to capture this data, then you track the percentage of very good and excellent you have. In each cluster, overall experience, um, welcome process, knowledge and know-how of the staff, politeness of the staff, and infrastructure, then you start really to have an important metric suite that will help you make decisions. And then you have to figure out, or AI will help, what is a driver of overall satisfaction? Is it the staff politeness or more the infrastructure? How do you compare yourself with the with the area? How does my hotel or my property compare? To the to the to the hotel next door in terms of infrastructure, staff knowledge and know-how, um, staff politeness and welcome process. So you need to have the right metrics then to have to make the right decisions. I don't know if that makes sense. Yes, you you touched upon a point there when you said oh, we don't send them an email for for feedback. We use the app, and you touched upon a point where because your company works in the luxury sector. Uh, aren't people fed up with giving feedbacks and having to answer all these surveys and especially at the luxury level, not being invaded, uh, you know, just feeling relaxed, as you said, and calm during their experience and not having to then having to report on that to anybody. So how do you, at, especially at the luxury uh, sector, um, are, how are we, how will we be, we will be able to get that, personalized uh, feedback on experience that will then convert into metrics when probably those people will be more keen on, you know, not having to be in, feel the invasion all the time. Yeah, great question, because we're all fed up with emails. So for us, we solved it. There's no email whatsoever. There is a bucket in the app where people see their current bookings, so upcoming bookings, past bookings, and then there is a bucket ratings for one week. They have the opportunity to rate their experience. And you're right, people are fed up. And what you tend to have in, in, 
in private banking or you know in in, in luxury in high end type of a uh, uh, sector you tend to have only the bad feedback so people tend to complain only when they have a, a very good reason to complain and they seldomly provide great feedback which is what you want as well so by having a bucket where if they're happy they can voice their opinion and having a bucket where if they're unhappy they can voice equally their opinion is really a first step but when you run hotels and I've I've known this and I've ran a few at JP Morgan. What you may, you want to move away and breaking out from the pack is also rethinking how you capture feedback and client feedback. Like you tend to capture feedback with the survey because they stay with you. But I would, for instance, challenge the model and say, have you ever invited guests over to have a panel and what we call solution interview in, in technology? Let's invite 10 guests, really high end, those who spend great money at the at the hotels let's invite them have them treat them to a star day but they will provide feedback and and review basically your operating model so that you flip the model in a way i don't know if that makes sense but that's what i would do if i was running a hotel i would invite we did we ran more than 100 solution interviews with momentum so across the globe people from all sorts of culture um a solution interview is when you try and improve the model, you present them with a prototype, and then because you want to know if you're solving a problem that doesn't exist or you you know you want just to validate your assumptions and where you can improve. And I'll give you a concrete example at Momenti where we, we didn't nail it the first time around and solution interviews helped us a lot. It was the spa booking experience. Now it's really great. We have great feedback on it, but at the beginning it wasn't so great. And I remember... I, I'm not a spy person, so we overlooked uh, the, importance, the importance of having the option to pick the gender of who's going to touch you. And we missed that step. It came really high. People want to know if it's a, a boy or girl, uh, a female or, or, or a man who's going to treat you. So we missed that step. And for all sorts of reasons, it can be religious, it can be some guys don't like to be touched by guys, some girls, I don't know. And, and you had all sorts of, but we didn't want to figure out, but the solution interviews helped us really to nail that step that was totally missing. And um, and I would do the, that kind of things and moving away from, from the stupid survey, the email, we do that because it's important, but for us, we do it intelligently. It's not invasive. It's within the app if they want to answer it. And people now are getting used. They see the continuous improvement. Now, in the first slide, when I presented 20th century data versus current you know, technology, now people are used to provide feedback. They're used to provide, and they know the importance of their voice. So their voice was used internally before and never given back to them. Now they see they can publish their own opinion. And on Momenti, if they're happy about something, it's going to be published. We have a curating process, of course. But if it's if it's great, it's going to be published. But if it's not great, we would alert the, the, the partner hotel, but it would be published equally. And they know it. And they know the power of the voice, the power of their opinion. So, so I think it's slightly evolving. So there's a lot of moving parts. But what you want is really uh, change the wings while the, fly, the, the plane is flying, really. And it's a, it's a subtle thing. So I hope I answered your, your question. Yeah, thank you. Does it make sense to reward feedback or the reward is that you act on the feedback? I, I really, as a client, I would I would appreciate it if I don't know, if I have a free glass of champagne because I've I've contributed five feedback or three or would be nice next time I turn up. 
that unexpectedly you guys do it something do something for me and it's that that element of surprise also that people are looking for like what is unexpected everything is so expected and kind of predictable uh, especially in the luxury space that's why why i was saying you know uh everything kind of looks the same talk to gen z and we have the the chance of having in the team uh a girl and marie you may know elana elana she's great and um she's 22 she graduated definitely from yes <laughs> so she's 22 she graduated from ehl so she's an expert in in hospitality plus the family is heavily involved in hospitality they own a number of hotels around the globe so her point of view is super important for me she's a brand ambassador i take pride and she says they all feel and look the same luxury hotels on social media so when we talk about personalization is how do you induce an element of surprise? How do you induce an element of an unexpected event? Um, yeah. and, and it's really about, about that uh, when we talk about hospitality. This has been a production of the IPBN in partnership with Pink Room. For more information, visit us online at island-portugal.com and on LinkedIn at Island Portugal Business Network. For more IPBN podcasts, find us on Spotify or visit our website for the full list of episodes.